0: Welcome to the AQUES podcast, conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hello and welcome to the July episode of the Quest podcast, the easy listening funds industry podcast. My name is Daniel Lawler and I'm the host of this podcast. For this edition, we are going to move a little bit outside the funds industry and see what we can learn about risk management from the guys who are probably the best at that task. And they're the bookies. So for this episode, I'm delighted to be uh, joined by my co-host, David Lyons of Black Swan Sports. Thanks very
1: much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about what it is that Black Swan Sports does. Well, a little bit about myself, I suppose. I've worked in the gambling sector for the last decade, primarily with Paddy Power, um, Worked in their online gaming business, originally, Bingo Casino, poker. and then originally and then following that moved into a section called Art and Risk Management, which is a division of the of the company which helps corporate clients manage the financial risk but related to the outcome of sporting events. Um, since that, over the last couple of years, uh, two years ago, I've left Paddy Power and over the last year, Black Swan Sports Limited is up and running uh, with a my business partner, who was also a director of the business-to-business operation in Paddy Power, Rod O'Callaghan. Um, so we're doing the exact same thing as before. We help uh, corporate clients manage their financial risk related to the outcome of sporting events. Now, what does that mean? Um player bonuses, sponsorship bonuses have become far more prevalent in the sports sector over the last few years because brands just don't want to throw money at a team anymore and just say, we would like to be on the front of your shirt for 5 million euros, that just doesn't exist what they will say now is we'll give you 1 million to be on the front of your shirt but we'll give you another 5 if you win the Champions League another 5 if you win the Premier League So so is there much more Weighted towards The bonus side of things now Absolutely Because you get more Bang for your buck Related to positive performance So a team Will uh, A sponsor Will see huge More eyeballs On their jersey If the team progresses Through the Champions League Or is getting more More airtime On Sky Sports Uh, The same goes For a golfer In the open Which has been played today If one of Jordan Speed's sponsors, Puma for example, uh, they will have bonuses tied to his performance and if he, naturally if he wins the Open today he'll receive a bonus off the back of that. Now that creates volatility on the P&L for the brand themselves so they're related to a massive spike or, or, or nothing at all in terms of payments. So what they can do is they mitigate that risk by either taking out an insurance policy, placing a bet, or placing a hedge, which allows them to manage their risk in advance. So regardless of what happens on the course, whether Jordan wins or not, they have a known cost on their P&L, essentially an insurance premium. So it helps them to manage the risk. And and I suppose, um, sorry, you you talked about the way
0: that sponsors that... Model has gone very much towards, uh, you know, a, a large portion of it being based on bonus. Is probably is it the same with with the actual players and, and how teams
1: contract with their players? Yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit difficult. Different with the players. Players certainly expect goal bonuses, perform uh, pl- uh, appearance bonuses, and so on. And um, but they get so much money, football becomes a little bit of a, a misnomer in terms of. The bonuses are inconsequential Whereas something like the Rugby World Cup Would would be far more more relevant Where the players aren't on As an an enormous a salary as a footballer So a bonus payable to the Irish players From the IRFU Or from a shirt sponsor Or from a kit manufacturer would, 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 Would hold far more sway um, and also those bonuses payable by the IRFU for example would have far more effect on their on their annual annual results so and so if, if you're a, a team or a
0: sponsor a brand that's trying to manage the risk then how did they go about doing that there, obviously there's there's different options how do they different options. so,
1: so the, the premium is directly related to the probability of the event occurring so hedging manchester city to win the premier league next season is going to be a very expensive proposition because it's so likely to happen whereas hedging leicester city to win the premier league a couple of years ago would have been very very cheap so it directly relates to the to to the probability of it happening so for example let's take manchester united for example if they were nine to one to win the premier league next year that represents a 10% chance and for the ease of mathematics if they had a 10 million bonus payable to the players they could hedge that bonus for for a million euros so they give us the million euros and in the event that Man United win the league we pay the 10 million but if they don't we keep the 1 million premium very much like insuring your your car um, which is again a probability based scenario um, which is run through models whereas this is probably a little bit more granular because they're individual outcomes they're very bespoke events um, but the, the same principles apply.
0: And so when you're, you're the other side of that trade, obviously, you're, you're the one who's helping them to manage the risk. Yeah. When you take that risk on, what are the, how do you go about managing that risk? What, what are the factors you take into account? Is it very model-based and very formulaic, or is there more of a value be. judgment it, as well? It,
1: it, more from, the, from, a, from, the, bet, from a, the betting sector, when you're taking on large volume of trades on, when in the Premier League, the, out, the, the price, although while well, it needs to be solid... It, the market will dictate whether your price is wrong and the weight of money will prove that to you. So you'll be taking, the, if people start piling into Manchester City to win the league at 10 to 11, you know that your price is probably going to have to shorten. Whereas with us, we have to look at each risk on its merits. So even though the market would dictate that a price for Man City to win the league is 10 to 11, we would then need to look at that in greater detail because obviously the risk is far, far greater. Your, your payout will be more than maybe the rest of the book combined so you have to look at each each risk individually
0: and when you're doing that then um obviously the the, probably the depth of the market is that something that that comes into it you know the amount of in financial services, we talk about probably liquidity in the market. The amount of trading, you know, that give be you a better price for, for.
1: Yeah, it does. And in, in an ideal scenario, you'd be able to log on to a betting exchange that's like Betfair that's got an enormous liquidity behind. It, but in in that individual market, and it'll pretty much tell you to a T where the, where the price should be. But that's not always going to be the case because a lot of this stuff is done anti posts and the the betting markets mightn't have have developed sufficiently to give you an accurate accurate representation of the price like if we again using the open example now if we were to log on to the betting any of the betting exchanges and see where the prices are for the open they're going to be pretty solid and there's going to be a good bit of money behind them so it becomes very easy to lay, lay lay a golfer now but to do that six months ago when a sponsor is looking to manage their year, yearly budgets um, you don't have that you don't have the luxury of that type of information to hand so you need very skilled golf traders who are not only mathematically sound, but also have a very detailed knowledge of their sport. Yeah. And you might take a panel of prices, and then take an aggregate price across your traders to help to to give you to give you your end price, and then you obviously marginate that price. So you're
0: to. relying a lot on their expertise and their knowledge of right. the market. And and is it their knowledge? Is is there more sort of qualitative factors that come into it then as well, like? I don't know, form or injury
1: or... Oh, absolutely. And in terms of all of those things, absolutely will play a factor. and right through to momentum. So they would even build momentum into into, into their pricing so that you know that if Roy McIlroy has won, two, three, four, five tournaments over the course of a six-month period, he becomes far more likely to win subsequent tournaments over the year because form and momentum are... are are dictating his probably or affecting his probabilities now, so absolutely they would take all those into account.
0: And so after you've done the deal, done the the trade five months out from yeah. an event, uh, your client has secured their position yeah. and, and they've paid whatever they're going to pay. Yeah. But obviously on your side then you've got an ongoing risk. We've an ongoing um, risk. So you're you're monitoring what you've you know your return versus what your risk is now and whether that's gone up or down is, is that how, how it works? Uh,
1: absolutely you're probably mar- marking to market your your risks very right ra- on a monthly basis anyway to, to see where you stand versus the price you laid it at the main time to worry in like an any gambling product or a gaming product or insurance product the time to worry about your data and your prices at the very start before you've done the deal so uh, once you're locked in generally anyone involved in the sector doesn't like to hedge at a loss so ideally if you're trying to transfer any risk you, you try and do that try and do that at a profit um, but for the, for the most part anyone in the sector is competent and uh, will, will retain the risk themselves
0: and so it's obviously it's a very professional sector it's a very well developed sector mm. is it is it very broad in the sense that um, are there certain events and certain uh, sports that are are covered and then others as you move into the margins are uh, maybe the, there's less knowledge about them and more yeah, risk
1: that, that's a probably a really good point so there there are sports that we're really comfortable pricing rugby, football, cricket, golf, tennis American sports, baseball for example is very data heavy there, there are very few unknowns something that might be trickier would be something like Formula 1 for example um, Formula 1, like let's take McLaren for example McLaren probably not know not only how quick their car is going to be for next year they probably know how quick it's going to be for the year after so if a Formula 1 team was to come and look to hedge driver bonuses with us for next season or season after, we would be a little bit hesitant um, because they know more about their car than we do. That's, no, like, that's only natural. So generally for something like that, we wouldn't underwrite any Formula 1-related risk till after the final round of testing is completed in Barcelona in May. You get a good idea of where, of where you're at then. Um, and then I suppose lower league football, where maybe you might run into some more morally Hazardous behavior, where you in certain leagues throughout the world, somebody might be able to make more money from their team not performing well than performing well. Through. So yeah, you really Insider have or
0: dealing in and that sort of stuff. Thing. You really, you've really
1: got to really got to be careful. And if you're going to lay a chunk of change on, on, on the table for that, you really need to know what you're doing. But we try and steer as well clear as that as possible. But obviously, in the likes of the UK, Spain, the the secondary. Leagues third, third divisions um, are are, fi- are fine. They're, everyone's trying trying to win.
0: So when you get towards the margins, it's things like you're you're worried about your level of knowledge versus the person who's making the trades level level of knowledge and do they know something that you don't know? And then because the markets aren't as deep, you don't have the other sources of information to that, sort of test your pricing against. That's exactly
1: right. That's exactly right. Whereas we would ideally love to underwrite. Maths based games, or every day of the week. So like, I don't know, roll a roll a dice, roll a six to win a hundred grand. We know we know for sure what that price is, and like, but I suppose. That's an ideal world and we don't live in an ideal world. So if we try and stick to the sports we know most about and we're confident in our pricing and we're confident in our methodologies, then we should be okay.
0: And so presumably you build models around this and you have models and you're probably refining them as you go?
1: Yeah, in our sector we wouldn't build models. Previously, in a previous life in Paddy Power, we definitely would have operated off models. And a lot of the models, for, for example, every single bookie out there would have had a World Cup model, which was... Spouting out prices uh, for every single eventuality you can imagine in terms of top goal score, reach the final, reach the semi final, win the group, not win the group, and that'd be highly, highly model driven. Um, and uh, so, what kind of factors do they put into those models? It'd be form, squad, injuries, um,
0: and did they rate them? Like, is there a is there a value judge? Is somebody is somebody behind that who's Using their expertise to Absol- put a I, I, subjective I, I, view I, I, on what form absolutely. is absolutely in
1: every sport and all the models. At some point, somebody has to key in an individual match price, which is probably where all the where where the whole system is built upon. So somebody has to know the probability on game one of who was game one of Russia beating Russia beating Saudi Arabia, maybe. Yeah, and um, so uh, at that, but in order for the model for the model to work, the match prices have to be inputted input it at the very start.
0: So and there is always a reliance on, on individuals and on and, and the human being. And, absolutely,
1: and like really interestingly in Paddy, in Paddy Power when we uh, football models are constantly being developed and, and they're absolutely necessary because it means that a betting and running trader can trade on several games whereas historically he could have traded on one with fewer markets because he was doing the calculation himself. The football models now calculate I think just over during any game about a million prices per second. Um. so it, but there still has to be a trader there to manage the stuff that the model can't see that Luis Suarez is injured that the goalkeeper is not taking crosses cleanly so there has to be sort of manual manual inputs and interestingly over the course of uh, if you put a trader head to head with the model um, well historically that's, it may have changed now since I've left but we were we never had a model that could beat a trader in an individual match in terms of margins so the traders, as individuals, must be very highly sought after. They are extremely a- highly sought after. Now, the the, the traders are real. There's sort of two guys. You probably have more the quants guys who build the models, and then the traders who operate them. All mathematically sound. The quants guys extremely mathematically sound, um, but the guys who are trading on the sport will also be an expert in that sport. So. Um, you need you need these guys in there yeah. as experts to prevent i suppose for want of a better term having your pants taken down by, by a customer who is looking to, is looking to looking to exploit the fact that your prices are wrong so
0: so presumably these star traders they're they're the guys that are in demand and they probably have their performance probably has a big impact on the p l of a, of a
1: of the organization they're working for absolutely and they're very highly bonused and they do they do very well and they're also sometimes not many that i i can recall but they're also found out quite quickly if they don't actually know what they're talking about because someone will go out there and exploit a price that's wrong or they will exploit a weakness a weakness somewhere in the market and have a a good bet and and do you find a lot of high frequency betting then people
0: who are constantly monitoring prices and, and trying to arbitrage Absolutely. the differences oh. in prices Abso- is that professional is that, it is, is that-
1: yeah that it was supposed to be professional gambling arbitrage would be a little bit it's it's there's only so much you can make from, arbit- from arbitrage but guys who are the most dangerous and the best punters are the guys who come in and bet early so when let's say a rugby handicap is released on a monday for the following saturday's game that on the monday when that price is released that's when that price is most vulnerable that's when it has this highest chance of being wrong and that's when the shrewd guys who will also have done their pricing at the back end will be trying to place bets and very quickly the market will adjust that handicap price to where the guys were placing the early bets on so there's, there's enormous value on that on these guys um they will also uh, some some bookies will allow those accounts to stay open and allow them to place small bets because basically buying the information they want to see what the, what the, what this guy thinks or what this girl thinks about um, about an individual result. But generally, the market has moved towards closing a lot of these guys down. Which I don't know. I'm out of the gambling sector a little bit while a little while now, and I would fancy my own knowledge on rugby, but I would still like to be able to get more bets. Way put it that put it that way. Uh, and so, so
0: for the traders then, do, do firms place limits around how they do their job to to manage the risk?
1: Yeah, they, they they would have risk limits, and there would be better referrals if it was an exceptionally large stake, or if it was a customer who had been stake factored and wanted to have a certain amount a certain amount on. But the, yeah, they they would be working to to predetermined parameters, but they would also be able to use judgment as uh, and trade as they see fit.
0: So there's a lot of lot of commonalities there with how in the financial services industry. Firms manage risk, uh, their need for raw data, their need for um liquid markets where yeah. they can sort of see what prices are and test what prices are, but ultimately the need for good traders who know what they're about and uh Abs- who can who, who just have that sense for where things are going to go, maybe beyond what a model can tell you.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I suppose when a trader is has just started a role. His parameters would be would be more confined than somebody who's, who has proved themselves over over a period of time that they can actually deliver. So
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And talk to me just a little bit about technology and and,
0: and how technology has impacted the uh, the betting sector more generally. Mm. Um, so you know, obviously, that a lot of betting companies are very very savvy about how they deal with their end users yeah. uh, through technology, and I think it's. It's a sector where the financial service industry is is definitely playing catch up. Albeit banks are a little bit, you know, yeah. ahead of that. But if you, you know, in terms of. Trading or, or trading stocks, shares, or funds, yeah. um, you don't have that same ease of access that you do with, with say,
1: uh, yeah. bookmakers. And I think that the use of technology probably applies to both sides of the coin. So in terms of how a customer actually interacts with a betting site via an app or via a website, it's a very, very smooth process. There's a huge emphasis placed on ease of transaction and ease of navigability of the site and where people's eyeballs are dragged to on sites that... Different times of the day, and where should your offers be, and so on, and 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 they're definitely, definitely like leaders in, in terms of that. Because it's, it's that. not a new industry, you know, it's not a new industry. Uh, the,
0: the bookmaking industry, but they, they do seem to have identified that as a a win uh, and have put resources into to be good at interfacing with customers through tech. Absolutely. Much earlier than well, absolutely, services
1: absolutely. Well, certainly, probably like five years. I'm getting it, it's ballpark, but about five years ago, just over Paddy Power were the first ones to have a mobile app, and the first ones to have a tablet app. And very quickly, about five years ago, over half of the company's turnover was online, and just over half of that online turnover again was on mobile. So it's it's grown exponentially it's been been an incredible growth sector and I think that comes from because it's so easy to use people use their phone as a as a market reference point you're in the pub having a pint with your friends I wonder what price Wayne Rooney has scored next goal, and you have the information there at your fingertips immediately. You know, and you know that from the back end, from the side we've just spoken about between about traders and the quants that the price is going to be pretty accurate. So it gives you an accurate data point and a discussion point that to to use using a social environment.
0: Yeah, and I guess I guess the experience that that firm has uh, has had is probably replicated across Absolutely. all of the big the big firms. Absolutely. In the
1: industry. So some some were slower to adapt. Obviously, I think. I think Ivan Yates famously said that same that, that online betting will never take off. But right. uh,
0: that's the disc <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. that's great. Well thanks very much for your time, David. That was really, really interesting to see how another sector uh, tackles the, uh, the issues around risk management, and, and um, um, it's just interesting to get insights from uh, other sectors doing the same kind of thing mm. that uh, fund management companies have to do. So thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you.. So as we wrap up this episode of the Equest podcast, let me again express my thanks to David Lyons of Black Swan Sports for his time and insights into the area of risk management. Let me also thank Gavin Timlin of Create Sound for editing and recording this podcast. We're probably going to take a break for the rest of the summer and we will be back in September with the next episode of the Equest podcast. Thank you very much for listening and if you have any feedback, I always love to get it at info at Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Aquas podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on REGs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R U R Q.